want to invite you to turn with me in a Bible to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 16 through 23 this morning as we continue our sermon series on the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. It's on page 1253 if you can use one of our Bibles. Here now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, through your spirit, and most of all in the person and work of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, And we pray now as we look at this passage given to us by you through the Apostle Paul, we do pray, Lord, that you would use it to help us know you more, to understand even more the depth of the grace that we have lavished upon us in Christ. And would you use this time to help us grow in our love for you and in our excitement to continue to make disciples here in East Orlando and even around the world. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you might be aware that it's uh, it's birthday month in our home. Uh, My wife's birthday is this month. My birthday is this month. My son's birthday is this month. So we've been having a lot of birthdays. Um, I just just celebrated the 20th anniversary of my 21st birthday. So um, I've been 21 for 20 years now, and it feels good. you know, Hannah and I were talking, Hannah's my wife, we were talking uh, yesterday about the fact that it was 15 years ago that uh, I asked her out, and uh, by the grace of God, and she said yes, by the grace of God. And so 15 years have gone by, and we were talking about that, and it made me think about the fact that um, one of the times when I felt the most accepted by another person was with Hannah, um, when we had been dating for a little while, and it was pretty clear we were going to get engaged, I decided I had to tell her some stuff about me that I would want her to know or I thought that she needed to know. If she was going to say yes to me, she needed to kind of say yes to all of me, even the baggage, even the bad stuff. So I was scared to death to do it, but I decided I would tell her some things from my past, from my time, uh, a prodigal period of my life when I wasn't walking with the Lord. And um, I wanted to tell her these things and then give her permission to just run away if, if that's what she wanted to do. And so I sat her down and I explained a bunch of things that I had done that I regretted deeply. And I waited to see how she would respond. 
And I'll never forget it. She said, none of that changes how I feel about you. And I'm not worried about any of that. I, I love you. And I just, I'll never forget that moment. It was this unbelievable sigh of relief. You know, I just felt so accepted, so loved, so welcome in her presence. And it was just amazing. I'll never forget that. Maybe you felt like that when somebody has shown you that complete acceptance. And, um, that's really in many ways, that's how God wants us to feel in his presence. He wants us to, to know that if our faith is in Christ, that we are accepted by him, that we are welcome in his presence, that all the things, all the fail, failures that we have in our life, that doesn't change how he feels about us, that he's just wild about us. And, you know, what's hard about that is, number one, it can be challenging to believe that we really are that accepted by God, uh, all by grace through faith. But it's also hard when in a church there are times when people don't act like that's how it is. People can be very judgmental of one another. And when people are judging us, then we don't feel accepted, right? We feel rejected. And nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. And technically, we're not actually supposed to feel that way amongst one another. Uh, but it happens. It happens in every church. It happens in our church from time to time that people do feel guilty or they feel ashamed because someone uh, in the church is making them feel judged or disqualified. And that, that's what was happening in the church at Colossae. This is why Paul wrote this part of the book of Colossians. And what I love about this is he's not writing to particularly dismantle the, the false teaching of the, of the false teachers. Uh, he's more aimed at the hearts of those who are feeling judged and feeling disqualified. So Pastor Paul comes out here. And he's wanting them to know that they shouldn't feel judged. They don't have to feel disqualified. They can look to Christ. And that Christ has not only rescued us from the penalty of our sin and the power of our sin, but he also rescues us from the guilt and shame that we experience when people are judgmental towards us. And that's our focus for this morning. Good news that Christ rescues us from the guilt and shame that we experience when people are judgmental towards us. And we're going to look at that by walking through this passage here and talk about three things. I want to talk about what was happening. Let's understand a little bit about what was going on in the church at this time here when Paul wrote this. And then why was it happening? What is it about the fallen human heart that creates this tendency for us to judge each other? And then uh, number three, how does Paul respond to what was happening? And that's where he's going to show us how Christ rescues us uh, when we're feeling judged by others. So keep your Bibles open. And let's first, let's talk about what was happening. And here's the first thing I want us to think about. Because the heart struggles to accept grace, some try to add to the gospel. Okay, this is a major theme in many of many parts of Paul's letters, that people are trying to add to the gospel. They're trying to add requirements as if our faith in Christ is not enough to fully and finally reconcile us to God. Okay. And so what was happening in the church at this time is there was a group of people within the church who were being very judgmental. Uh, they were telling people that they weren't right with God. They were judging them and they were disqualifying them, trying to make them feel like they were second-class citizens because they weren't doing some of the things that this judgmental group was doing. 
And if you, if we look at these verses here, what we see is they were trying to bring some legalism in. Let's talk about that real quick. They were trying to bring in some mysticism. We'll talk about that. And they were trying to bring in some asceticism. So let's, let me, let me define those and show you where we see those in this passage. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, we basically see that they were trying to bring legalism into their understanding of their relationship with God. Legalism is when we, when somebody believes and or teaches that in order to be right with God, in order to be accepted by God, you do have to do certain things. Okay. You have to accomplish certain things or avoid certain things. That's legalism. That's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is we're accepted by grace through faith in Christ alone. But look at verse 16. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, what was happening is there was this judgmental group was reaching back into the Old Testament and they were pulling from some of the dietary laws and some of the calendar days that were supposed to be celebrated. And they were strictly adhering to them. And then they were also insisting that everybody adheres to those Old Testament dietary laws and calendar day celebrations. And they were therefore then judging those who wouldn't join in or who were questioning whether or not they should join in. So we see some legalism. Uh, there was also some mysticism. Mysticism is the idea that you can attain some sort of higher um, spiritual or moral state by, uh, by some sort of direct revelation through a vision or something like that. And that's what's happening here. They claimed that they had some special knowledge that other people didn't have. Look at verse 18. Paul says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. So here's what some of the Bible scholars think was happening. That this group who was judging people were claiming that they had done something that was enabling them to have some visions of what was happening in heaven. And when Paul says they were insisting on the worship of angels, he's probably not saying that they were insisting that the people worship angels, but that they worship like the angels. So it's most, most likely what was happening is they had, they were saying that they had had a vision. They had seen how the angels worship God in heaven. And now they were insisting, you must worship that way too. You must worship God that way too, just like the angels. But again, that's coming. It's not coming from God. It's coming from this vision that they claim that they had. So there's some mysticism. Uh, next, asceticism. Asceticism is when people, uh, deny themselves things and even punish their bodies. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy set of self-denial regiments. And they were doing something like this. Look at verse 23, where he says, uh, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. So ultimately, what the people were doing, this judgmental group, they were, they were hurting themselves or they were denying themselves certain comforts, stuff that God never said to do. But they were saying that that's how they were acquiring a higher moral state or a higher level of spirituality. And so they're, instead of focusing on Christ and the gospel, the good news that we're saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, they're adding in this legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. And that's why Paul's trying to make sure that they, that the, the Christians there know not to feel judged by this type of stuff. 
Because once you add anything to the gospel, once you say that faith is not enough, that we're not made right with God through faith alone, now you've poisoned the gospel. You've actually destroyed it. It's not the gospel anymore. If there's things that we must do. You know, there's a um, community that we work with uh, a little east of here. And many years ago, so the story goes, there was a man who was allowing uh, people to come and dump their used oil. He apparently had a big, huge container, and you could give him a couple bucks and dump your used oil in this container. And what people didn't know is he had actually cut the bottom off of the container. So the oil was just seeping into the groundwater for a long time. And then what happened is the people in that community began to grow very, very sick. And even today, they still have major trouble with their teeth. They have major trouble with all sorts of things physically because they were poisoned by that water. Now, the thing is, there's nothing wrong or impure about the water itself. But it was the poison that worked its way in. It changed that water from something that's good and healthy and life-giving to something that has caused great sickness. And surely people have even died from that. That's what Paul is, is pointing out here. It's one of the things he's pointing out here, that the gospel is pure and it's clean. It's the, it's the truth about what Jesus has done on our behalf. But as soon as you try to bring something else into it, as soon as you try to bring in any type of requirement, yes, you've got to believe, but you also must do this, or you must not do that, or else. As soon as you bring anything into the gospel, you have poisoned it, you've changed it. It's not the gospel anymore. And so one of the things we're seeing here then is that we have to make sure that we are focused on Christ. And that's actually what the judgmental group was not doing. So let's talk about why it was happening. What is it that makes people try to add to the gospel? And here's the next thing we want to talk about. So what was happening or why was it happening? It is humanity's fallen merit-based nature that leads people to rely on themselves for righteousness instead of Christ and it makes them judgmental. It's kind of a long sentence. Let me unpack that. It is like the, because of the fall, Adam and Eve fell into sin. Humanity is all by nature sinful. Part of what we do as natural sinners is sin, but another part of what we do is naturally assume a merit-based reality. Our, our, by nature, we assume if I'm going to be Worthy in God's eyes, if I'm going to be acceptable in God's eyes or anybody's eyes, I'm going to have to accomplish certain things. So as one of my seminary professors used to say, the default position of the human heart is works righteousness. That we are righteous or we are, we have worth or we have value based on the things that we do. And that's what these people in the church, the judgmental group, that's what's going on. They're not focusing on Christ and what he's done, they're operating like the world operates, which is a merit-based reality. And that's why Paul responds to all of their issues, the legalism, the mysticism, and the asceticism. He responds to all these things by pointing us back to Christ. So look at verse 17. Here's his response to their legalism. He says these, so those dietary laws and different things they were observing from the Old Testament, He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. In other words, he's taking all the stuff from the Old Testament that they're clinging to, and he's saying all of that stuff was just shadow. It was just pointing to something, 
to someone. It was pointing to Christ. And therefore, if you have Christ, you don't need that stuff. That stuff was only ever designed to point forward to Christ. And now Christ has come. So he's directing our eyes back onto Christ. Look at verse 18 and 19 and see how he responds to their mysticism. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. That word sensuous mind there, some of your Bibles might say fleshly mind. He's talking about that natural sin nature mindset. That's where that's coming from. In other words, the idea that they're getting these visions and, and now they have a, an authoritative understanding of how to worship, that's not coming from God. It's coming from their own mind, their own sin nature. And the problem, he says, they're not holding fast to the head. Now, he's already referred to Christ uh, two other times in this book by saying that he's the head. So he's talking about Christ. They're not holding fast to Christ. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Um, when we hear that phrase, holding fast... We tend to think what, maybe what's happening is this group is beginning to let go of Christ. But actually, what Paul is saying is here, they've never actually taken possession of him. This particular group, who are doling out all the judgment, they've never actually taken possession of Christ. That's what he's saying. And therefore... They still live in a merit-based reality. They still think that you have to do certain things or you have to know certain things or you have to avoid certain things in order to be right with God. That's where that's coming from. It's coming from the fallenness. And that's what, you know, when somebody who really is a Christian is judgmental, um, they're very, what's happening is they're, they're forgetting about the gospel. They're not focusing on the gospel. In this case... The, these people are probably not Christians. Okay? But either way, whether you are not a Christian or you are a Christian, when we are judging others, it's coming from that old mindset, the mindset of the world, that we're right by what we do. We're made right or we're acceptable based on the things that we do or don't do. And what, when, when you live according to that mentality, then by nature you're going to want to push other people down. That's where that judgment comes from. Because when somebody is on a works righteousness mentality, they feel good as long as there's people worse than them. You know, um, there's the old adage, if you're walking through the woods with a friend and you see a bear, you don't have to outrun the bear, you just have to outrun your friend. Right. So with that idea, that's that's part of what this this is going on. That's part of what's going on in their minds. They're thinking I need to be better. I need to see myself as morally superior. I need to see myself as a higher spiritual state than these others, because that then makes them think that they're somehow right with God. And every time we're judging others, we're very often operating with that mentality. It's like the show. Have you ever seen the show Biggest Loser? Hannah and I used to watch. I don't know if it's still on anymore. But Hannah and I used to watch it, and it was a show where people were trying to lose weight, and every week they would have their weigh-in, and then depending on the amount of weight you lost, you would get ranked by the percentage of weight loss that you experienced, and uh, every week there was the yellow line, and the yellow line was the, the, the 
or if you fell, if you went below the yellow line, you would get kicked off the show. So the, the people who lost the most weight would be safe, but if you went below the yellow line, then you would be vulnerable to be kicked off the show and not win all the money and whatnot. And that's, again, the same mentality. So every, every week, all the contestants are just trying to make sure they're above the yellow line. They want to stay above the yellow line. And very much when people are being judgmental, it's usually because they're, they're operating more according to that, the way the world works, that merit-based reality. I've got to be better than others. That way I feel superior. That way I feel like I'm good with God. And one of the reasons that when people are judgmental, they're usually miserable. Like, have you ever really met a really judgmental person that's super happy? I've, I have, I have not. I was reading in my Valley of Vision this morning when I was praying, and the prayer uh, I was reading was on page 278, and this just struck me. It says, for whatever a man trusts in, from that he expects happiness. For, for whatever a man trusts in, from that he expects happiness. And this is the reason that so many people who, when, when we're being judgmental, we're not happy about it. Because you will never be happy from being judgmental about towards others. Because we're not designed to be happy when we're being judgmental. And here's the other thing that's really interesting if you think about it. If somebody is being judgmental, and if somebody is feeling judged, they both actually need the exact same thing. The gospel. Right? The person being judgmental needs to hear the good news. Oh, you're not right with God by what you do. You're right by what Christ has done, and that's received through faith. By grace, through faith alone. That's what the person who's being judgmental needs to hear. They need to hear the gospel. And the person being judged, who's feeling like they don't measure up because this person is saying they should be doing more, that person needs to hear the gospel. No, good news. You're not right with God based on what you do, but based on what Christ has done for you. So in either case, the gospel is the answer. And that's why, lastly, let's look at how Paul responds here. I love what Paul says here. And basically he says, good news, if you are in Christ through faith, you are no longer in a merit-based reality. You're in the grace-based reality of Christ's kingdom. Let me unpack that. Notice what he's saying here in verse 20. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still in the world, still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Here's Paul's good news for us when we feel judged. Good news, you died. He's already talked about that a little bit. Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we've been, we were, we've died with Christ. We were buried with Christ. We've been raised by faith. And he's talking about that same thing here. He's showing us that the good news of the gospel includes not only that Christ died to pay for our sins, to reconcile us to God, to, to give us eternal life, to give us his righteousness. Not only did his death provide all those things for us, but also through faith, his death is our death, a death to the way the world works, the merit-based reality of this world. We've died to that. We don't live in that reality anymore. 
And that's, in his question, is the answer, right? He's saying, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, in other words, to the, in other words, if you've died to the merit-based ways of this world, why, as if you are still alive in the merit-based ways of this world, are you submitting to these regulations? You see, they were feeling so much pressure to do the things that the judgmental group were calling them to do, that they, they were beginning to submit, they were beginning to do some of these unnecessary things. And wonder or not if they were right with God. And so he says the problem is that they are operating as if they're still alive in a world that's merit-based. Now I told you something, I think on the first Sunday of our Colossians series, I said I think we'll refer to a particular verse every single week. And here it is again. Flip back to chapter 1 verse 13. Okay, such, Paul wants our whole paradigm of life to shift And here's another place where we see this fleshed out. But if you go back to chapter 1, verse 13, he says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So with faith, if you have faith, then you you have been transferred. You've been taken out of one reality and put into a new reality. Doesn't always feel like it. It's not like we've been zapped to some other dimension. But in God's infinite wisdom, somehow what's happened is we've been literally taken out of the domain of darkness. That's the way Paul there in that verse refers to the the world. The world is a domain of darkness. And the world is merit-based. The world is legalism. The world believes that we have to do certain things in order to be worthy or righteous or valuable or acceptable. And he's saying that we've been taken out of that and placed into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now, the kingdom is a grace-based reality. And the more that we believe that we've actually been plopped down into a grace-based reality, then whenever people are judging us, we should be impervious to it because we don't live in that world. We live in a world where we know that the one judge that whose opinion or whose uh, assessment of us truly matters the one judge that matters is the one who came to die to pay for our sins to reconcile us to god it's about believing more and more that we don't live in the world we live in the kingdom a couple of years ago i was reading about this family that adopted a little girl from africa and she had grown up in an orphanage and they adopted her and they brought her to their home in America. This was a fairly wealthy family. They, they had this really nice house, gave her her own bedroom. She had a swing set out back. She had a, she has a new, she had a new mom, new dad, new brother and sister, whole new family, just a whole new life. Everything was completely different. And when this little girl lived in the orphanage, there were, there were several times in which there was no food. And when the kids would come to the cafeteria to eat, they would be told, sorry kids, we don't have any food today. And this little girl, growing up in that environment, she hated that. She absolutely hated missing a meal. Her stomach hurt so bad when she didn't eat. So after uh, living in that environment for a while, she started to only eat most of her food. And every meal, she would save about 10% of her food and put it in her pocket. And then she would take it up and she would keep it under her bed in the orphanage so that 
on those terrible days when they would come and find out there's no food, she knew she could go up to her room and eat some leftovers and not go hungry. So that was her old life. Now she's, she's living in America. She's uh, with this family. And this mom is in this little girl's room one time, just kind of straightening things up. And she notices there's kind of a little pile of food under the bed. And so she kneels down and she looks and there's a, there's a, quite a bit of food underneath the bed, all these little scraps. And so the mom didn't know why this was. So she picked some of it up and she went and found the girl playing out in the backyard and just asked her, honey, what's all this, this stuff? What's all the, the food under your bed? What's it all about? And the little girl got scared. She thought she was in trouble. She got real nervous. And she told her adopted mom that she just hated to miss meals and she wanted to put some away in case there was no food one day. And her mom kneels down and just lovingly says, Oh, sweetheart, that will never happen here. Your dad has a good job. He's got plenty of money. There's plenty of food. You will never miss a meal. You don't ever have to not. You can eat anything you want, anytime you want. Just go into the pantry or the fridge. It's all for you anytime. You don't live in that world anymore. You live in a new world, a new life. And it was that she believed that. Then she's set free from feeling like she has to stock away this food. And that's a lot like what Paul wants us to understand here. We literally do not live any longer in the world in the sense that we we don't live in an environment where we're worthy based on what we do or we're acceptable based on what we do or we're righteous or good based on what we do. We don't live in that environment anymore. We've been transferred from that domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son, which is grace-based And therefore, every time we think about whether or not we are right with God, we look right to the cross and we know for sure that we are righteous in God's sight, that we are forgiven. And then when people judge us one way or the other, we can say, good news, I died with Christ. I don't live in that world. I live in the kingdom where grace reigns. And when we're tempted to feel like we're worthless because we're not as good a mom as we would like to be or we're not as good a dad as we'd like to be or when we're struggling because we're not as good of an employee or a student or a friend as we're supposed to be, we have to stop and look to the cross and remember, wait a second, I don't live in that merit-based world anymore. I live in the kingdom of God where the grace of God reigns. Man, if we could just believe that. We've been transferred from one environment to the other, from one reality to the other, from the domain of darkness to the kingdom, by grace, for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that Christ's death not only paid for our sin, but transfers us into your kingdom. Would you help us to see that we live in your kingdom? Would you help us to believe deeply that we really are righteous in your sight, that you delight in us. And when 
people inside or outside the church seek to judge us, seek to suggest that our faith is not enough, seek to suggest that we need to do more in order to be right with you, would you help us to remember that we died with our king and that we live in the gracious kingdom of which he is the head. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.